I'm Candace Lim. And I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And Rachel, Killian Murphy, GQ <gasps> Profile. Pictures and walking through Dublin with Daniel Riley. What do you think? I mean, obviously, I think, why was it not me? Obviously, I think, why did Gentleman's Quarterly mm-hmm. not call me to interview my boo Mm -hmm. but mostly I just appreciate that really early in the piece Christopher Nolan says in a moment of drunken sincerity I told Killian Murphy that he is the best actor of our generation and I love that personally I love this profile and it's probably because I haven't read like a good celebrity profile that's like chill Mm. and nice and authentic Mm -hmm. right because most celeb profiles they're trying to tell you something they're trying to sell you something and what they're trying to sell me here is like Killian Murphy's gonna win an Oscar I don't care what you think he's gonna win it and the thing is you don't have to sell me too far on that I already believe in it it's past time for him to have an Oscar he deserves it the thing I love the most about Killian Murphy is how committed he is to being Irish I love a national identity like Ireland that's the only nationalism I'll accept and you know I love the Irish (laughs) Yeah, because I feel like a big takeaway I had is that Killian Murphy loves being home in Ireland. When he is in mm-hmm. Ireland, he is Colin Farrell and Banshees of Inisherin. Yes. When he lands at LAX, he is Oppenheimer before the victory speech scene. He is quaking, handicam shaking in his boots. <laughs> and I get it. I totally get it. I mean, same. I do not think I would be able to deal with the amount of press that Killian Murphy has had to do over the course of his career. He seems deeply private, but I'm sorry, Killian. I love when you're dragged out onto the red carpet to give me what I need more of, and that is you. Exactly. Well, Rachel, this narrative will continue, but today I want us to recede into the memories of like our 14-year-old selves because I want us to pull out the J14, the Tiger Beat, the Teen Vogue when it was the size of an iPad, and I want to play a game with you. Oh, please, let's do it. I'm painting my nails a sparkly pink Mm -hmm. in my head right now as we speak. Let's do it. Okay, so Michelle Ruiz wrote this very cute quiz for Vogue. It's called, Who's Your Ideal Award Season Boyfriend? And Michelle explains that this is more than an internet boyfriend. This is someone who is basically pushed in your face from November to March because they're getting like awards buzz. And so an example would be like Paul Meskel from last year or Timothy Chalamet from the Call Me By Your Name days. So I want to find your award season boyfriend. Are you ready? I'm ready and I'm expecting them to be Irish because we have Killian, we have Paul Mesco, and mm. we also have Andrew Scott in this award season. Yes. So yes. I'm ready. I'm ready to find my Irish husband. Someday I'm going to get dragged for being an Irish fetishist, but that's not today. All right. Here we go. First question. If you had an actorly type, it would be A, interestingly Irish, B, a. Re- okay, okay, recently <laughs> plucked from obscurity, <laughs> C, teen idol, deftly leaping to film. D, baby girl. E, criminally underrated and finally getting his flowers. And F, daddy. Wow. I was ready to choose A, but I do love a baby girl. Oh, you want to switch? No, I'm going to say on brand. I'm going to say on brand. Also because I feel like they overlap. Right, right, right. It's very like sun versus moon. So sun, Irish. Got it. A, beautiful. Second question. When it comes to the award season promotional circuit, ooh, the most attractive approach is A, 
Posing ostensibly shirtless for GQ with a pigeon on his shoulder. B. Telling Dazed Magazine, adrenaline and ignorance get me through life. Okay. Mm. C. Holding a bouquet of broccoli on the cover of W Magazine. A bouquet D, of broccoli. I know. I was like, okay. D. Revealing on Graham Norton that he met his husband through a Craigslist misconnections ad after walking by each other outside Walgreens. We know who that is. Oh. E. Hosting a distinctly Gen Z episode of SNL. And mm-hmm. F. Proudly bringing his sister to the Emmys. Ooh, this one's actually hard. I mean, we're bouquet of broccoli is not my thing. I'm gonna say <laughs> we'll we'll just, we'll strike that out. I yeah, do love fiber, but not that much. Right, right, right. I'm gonna say D. Revealing okay. Graham Norton that he met his husband through a Craigslist misconnection because I feel like that doesn't happen anymore, and it's one of my favorite kinds of meat cutes. Mm. I love that. Last question. You have a habit of going for guys who are A, short kings, B, brimming with swagger, C, oh. former CW stars, D, no. brimming with gravitas, but also married, E, insanely tall with erotic eyebrows, and F, oh. mustachioed and memeable. <sighs> This one should be harder, but I know myself, um, and I'm going to say D, (gasps) brimming with gravitas, but also married. I do have a habit of having crushes on men who are taken. There's something about someone who's unavailable that's really, unfortunately, quite hot to me. Okay, so Rachel, I have some news. The judges have tallied the votes, and you got mostly Ds, which I'm actually surprised by. And so guess what? Your award season boyfriend is... (gasps) Coleman Domingo. <gasps> okay, wait. That is not an option I thought was available, but I I'm know, obsessed with I know. it. I love Coleman Domingo. He's so beautiful and he seems like such a good person. And yes. I love that he's getting his flowers now. I feel like he's been working for a while, but my God, he was so good in Euphoria. Yeah. Sam Levinson didn't know what he had there. Mm-mm. He's just phenomenal. I love him. Okay, I'll take that. I mean, I don't think I'm his type. Yeah, for so a few different um, reasons. it does say in Vogue that he is married to his husband. Yeah. Um, and it really kind of uh, sinks the knife into you. It says Domingo yes. may not want you dot dot dot, but we get why you want him. And I'm like, well, I'll add Rachel next time. <laughs> well, that was fun. That revealed a yeah. lot about me. Mm-hmm. I got the answer I think I deserved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But while I, you know, consider what I'm telling my therapist tomorrow about my love for unavailable men, we have a show to do, Candace. So today we are catching up on a certain pop star's battles, both online and in the air. And we're going to talk about a tote bag that set food talk on fire. Mm-hmm. And we'll be right back after a short break. Hey, y'all, if you love our podcast, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on a new Slate podcast, including this one. You will also be supporting the show. ICYMI would not be possible without the support of Slate Plus subscribers. You will also get bonus segments or episodes on shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, Mom and Dad are Fighting, and Big Mood, Little Mood. And you'll 
also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means you get access to every single article and advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That is slate.com slash ICYMI plus. And we're back. We are back. And if you listen to the show, you probably know how I feel about Taylor Swift mm-hmm. and covering her here on mm-hmm. ICY I don't hate Taylor Swift. All right. I listen to some of her music. I like Red. I like 1989. It's a perfect pop album. Let's get that out the way. She has some good songs. However, she's annoying. She is one of the most <laughs> annoying public figures to ever exist on the planet. Unfortunately for me, she is currently everywhere because of various reasons that we're going to get into. Actually, so much has happened in the last five weeks with Taylor that there might actually be something interesting to talk about. Yeah. So we could talk about Taylor winning album of the year for Midnight's Mm. and snubbing Celine Dion in the process. We could talk about Taylor announcing her 13th album after winning her 13th Grammy. We could talk about Taylor escalating to the heights of wagdom, but I want to talk about a story that seems to keep following her no matter how hard Tree Payne tries, which is Taylor Swift and her private jet. And this story first broke back in, I think, August 2022, when this Twitter account called Celebrity Jets started blowing up. And this account was basically Robin Hood, but Mm. for exposing information about celebs and their private jet usage amidst our current climate crisis. The posts are pretty basic, I would say, in that they're literally just screenshots of celebrity jets with their mileage and routes. You know, when you're taking an international flight and you click on the little screen to see how far over the Atlantic you are, it's Mm -hmm. basically that, except it's for people flying private. Mm -hmm. And because flight information is publicly available, this account is basically able to track people like Drake, Kim Kardashian, Kylie Jenner, Elon Musk, and Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. Now, Taylor Swift gets brought into this conversation because there is a sustainability marketing firm called Yard, and they take the data, they ranked it, and they said Taylor Swift is allegedly the celebrity with the highest private jet use. And according to them, she took like 170 flights between January and July of 2022. And I will say at the time, I wasn't exactly shocked or swayed by that because, you know, the Kardashians and A-Rod and Blake Shelton, they are within the top 10 of that list. So I was like, oh, if we're going to be mad about Taylor, we'll be mad about them too, right? Uh, No, because um, no one cares about Blake Shelton. So a spokesperson for Taylor, who I guess is not Tree Pain, goes to The Guardian and says, Don't worry, Taylor's jet is actually loaned out regularly to other individuals. Mm. Which, to me, was kind of trying to push two different narratives. One, Taylor, generous queen. She's mm-hmm. giving out private jet trips to anybody who wants one. Her friends, her family, a random fan. Who mm-hmm. knows what she's doing with it? Secondly... In being so generous, she's trying to kind of blame the overuse of this jet on her friends and family and kind of saying, guys, don't worry. Taylor wasn't on all of the 170 flights that happened last year. But importantly, both of these defenses don't really solve the problem of the usage of the private jet. 
And one of the guys who runs the Twitter account, Celebrity Jets, actually disclosed that her family owns at least two jets. And the tail number, which is basically the license plate for a private jet, Mm -hmm. is N898TS. The TS is Taylor Swift. 89 is her birth year. Taylor loves numerology. We all Mm. know this. So it's like, even if she herself is not on all these flights, someone in her orbit or in her family is responsible for the carbon emissions here. Mm -hmm. So this private jet controversy, it happens in August 2022. Fast forward to October 2023, when she is rumored to be dating Travis Kelsey, who plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm -hmm. This is like the fourth game she's attended this season, well photographed, but some people point out that it's real interesting that she went to MetLife Stadium to watch Travis play against the New York Jets. She went to the Jets game for SEO reputation busting. So when you Google Taylor Swift and the Jets, you don't get the story about her jet emissions which most of those articles were digital articles, by the way, you're going to get Taylor Swift at the Jets game. Brilliant. This is Molly McPherson, a.k.a. the PR lady from TikTok, who basically like decodes and analyzes why celebrities are doing what they do, saying what they say. And I think she has a point, and I don't think she's out of bounds here. I mean, you're right. If you Googled Taylor Swift plus Jets that week, you would probably see a lot of photos of her at this football game walking out with Travis instead of news about all the carbon emissions our girl is dumping into the ozone right now. Mm -hmm. And I think it worked, right, for a second, Mm -hmm. because for the past year, there's been this kind of, I would say, simmering tension among Swifties who are still posting Reddit threads about the whole Taylor Swift carbon emission problem and how it maybe should be a deal breaker for standing her. But as we can tell from the success of the Eras tour, the multiple albums she's dropped since, the large amount of coverage we've had of her at football games, for some people, a private jet is a flaw, but not a deal breaker. Mm, Yeah. And that brings us to February 2024, when the Washington Post reports that Taylor Swift's attorneys have sent a cease and desist letter to at Taylor Swift Jets, which was run by the same person who ran Celebrity Jets. His name is Jack Sweeney. Jack is a student at the University of Central Florida. He's like 22 years old, and this is not the first time he has been legally threatened by a billionaire. Can you imagine being threatened by multiple billionaires before you graduate from college? Anyway, in 2022, Elon Musk, everyone's favorite tech billionaire, accused <laughs> Sweeney of publishing what he called, quote, basically assassination coordinates, end quote, via Sweeney's other account at Elon Jet. And Elon threatened to sue. But like a lot of things that Elon threatens to do, he did not follow through with this. He did not sue, but the Twitter account was suspended. But it didn't matter because our man Sweeney is a 22-year-old with a dream, with a mission, and he just started at Elon Musk's Jet. But clearly someone's taking notes from Elon Musk, which none of us should be doing. Taylor's lawyers took a similar approach, and they say at Taylor Swift Jets caused Taylor, quote, direct and irreparable harm, as well as emotional and physical distress, end quote, while stressing that there is, quote, no legitimate interest in or public need for this information other than to stalk, harass, and exert dominion and control. 
Mm. Not dramatic at all. Not drama. And... The thing is, if you read into it, there may be some truth here. You know, Taylor has had multiple stalkers and there Mm -hmm. was a pretty serious situation that happened recently when one of her stalkers was arrested for the third time in five days after lurking outside her townhouse in Tribeca. And according to the police report, he had been outside her house at least 30 times since November 2023. And while he did not like directly cite at Taylor Swift Jets, You know, considering how often Taylor has been photographed with Sophie Turner and Brittany Mahomes having dinner in New York, like it is possible to follow that account, track her flights and like kind of triangulate her location a bit. Yeah. And I think it's kind of an open secret as to where her apartment is. It's one Mm -hmm. of those things where if you live in New York City, it's actually quite easy to figure out where celebrities live because we all kind of live on top of each other. There are a few things I want to point out here. First, I think... The Swifties, because they're Swifties, have really tried to make a case that her jet use is work-related and therefore necessary. And you know what? She's been on a world tour. She is currently on a world tour. She is going to continue being on the world tour. I get it. She said on BBC Radio 1 that she basically flies home between shows to her closest house, whether it's Nashville or L.A. or New York. And I don't really think anyone is necessarily coming at her for flying to her own shows but it's the flying from a london show to have dinner in new york for a weekend you know it's flying from the south american leg of the Eras tour to watch travis play a regular season game then flying right back out and i think there is some validity in criticizing the frivolity of this jet usage or even the necessity for Carbone. Yeah. And let's get back to the college student that she is threatening to sue, who, uh, by the way, on the 2024 Forbes 30 under 30 list. Oh, so I think this raises the question of whether Taylor is going after the right people here, because, you Mm. know, after the cease and desist was sent, Sweeney put out a statement saying that his intentions are not to cause harm. He says that this is about, quote, the importance of transparency and public information, end quote. And after Taylor's lawyers sent that letter, Meta suspended at Taylor Swift Jets on Instagram and threads and Facebook, but his other accounts like Celebrity Jets, Kim K Jet, Zuckerberg Jet, they are all still up. I will say I found this kid's last paragraph interesting. He basically says that Taylor's team thinks that they have a case because they don't think that her jet activity is worth sharing. And he says, you know, I guess I don't have a legitimate interest in it, but her fans do. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are following the counts. They're the ones who are running the subreddit. And the Embassy of Japan in the U.S. confirmed that Taylor's jet can make it from Tokyo to the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. it's not even just, you know, your regular, regular Swifty. It's governments who are interested in where Taylor's jet is going. So Sweeney is basically saying there's public interest here beyond me. Therefore, Taylor's team should reasonably expect that her jet will be tracked. And at the end of the day, it's all public information. It's a little bit like you're mad that I'm talking about it, but there's also no real legal recourse for you to tell me that I can't. So where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious that Taylor Swift is not going to stop flying that jet. 
She literally no, flew from not. Tokyo to LAX, then took some transportation to Vegas to see Travis win the Super Bowl. And I just think that Taylor Swift's team is kind of going after Sweeney, but I don't think it's the right move because I think she's going after the wrong person. You know, I think it might be a little more productive to go after like the flight tracking website, for example, or whoever is supplying the information that you are so, so worried about keeping close to you. But I guess what really irks me about this story is that Taylor is clearly really miffed about this private jet situation, and I don't exactly know why this is the hill she's willing to die on, but I'm sure the Swifties have some good ideas. Send me the Google Doc. I also think that she has used the legal system in really important ways in the past that were not about money, that were about justice, that have like a farther reaching impact than suing a kid on Twitter. Right, which I think is what makes suing a kid on Twitter seem so um heavy-handed like she's used the legal system in ways that we all cheered for like when she countersued a radio host for assault and battery after he gripped her and her attorney said that she was only countersuing for quote a single symbolic dollar the value of which is immeasurable to all women in this situation not to mention the years-long public battle she's been having with Scooter Braun to buy her masters back. Taylor Swift clearly knows when to kind of use the weight of her influence and her empire. And the fact that she's using it here is very weird to me. Right. And this is where I want to bring up another developing legal battle that might happen, which is that in January, Taylor was the target of pornographic AI deep fake images that were posted online and they were circulating for about 17 hours before Twitter suspended the user who posted them and Twitter even blocked searches for Taylor Swift. And the thing is, Taylor has been through this before because back in 2011, her lawyers threatened to sue a deep fake website for posting fake nudes of her. And the fact that this is happening again, a decade later, when AI mm. content has now become very easy and very cheap to create, it is affecting everyone, especially women from private citizens all the way up to Taylor Swift. And I think the bigger development in the past 10 years is that this specific instance happening in 2024 may have actually helped Congress members advance legislation to combat deepfake porn. The fact that it had to happen to someone like Taylor Swift for this to happen is distressing, but you know, you take what you can get. The week that this deepfake AI nude came out, Joe Morelli, a representative from New York, cited Taylor when he talked about a bill that he's co-sponsoring called the No AI Fraud Act. And even the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, answered a question about the Taylor Swift deepfakes at a press briefing. Glad you asked that question because it is alarming. We are alarmed by uh, the reports of the, of the circulation of images that you just laid out, uh, false images to be more exact, and it is alarming. So while social media companies make their own independent decisions about content management, uh, we believe they have an important role to play in enforcing, enforcing their own rules to prevent the spread of misinformation and non-consensual intimate imagery of real people. And... That is, I think, a better use of Taylor's time and legacy, you know, going after yeah. this very big problem that seems virtually impossible to curb or fix that could affect change for a lot of people and women beyond her. Like instead of going after Sweeney, who I personally 
do not think is the right target when it comes to her private jet problems, there are examples of Taylor doing something that I just think is better for all of us. Now, to be fair, (laughs) you could save some carbon emissions, Taylor. Maybe don't go to Carbone every weekend. Okay, I love takeout. I love takeout. I love some takeaway. They have it in Brazil. Maybe let's explore that. Hmm? Listen, try the local food. Or if you really need Carbone on your two-year-long mega tour, babe, I feel like you have the money to just hire a Carbone chef to make you some vodka a la gnocchi. Michelin star, Michelin star in your own home. That's what I don't get. Why do you need to be in Carbone? You can have Carbone whenever you want. Anyway, that's enough Taylor Swift for the rest of my life. I'm going to be completely honest. (laughs) We had to talk about this because I feel like these two stories were actually kind of worth picking out between the Grammys, the Super Bowl, the Eras Tour movie. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we now live in 24-7 Taylor State Media. (laughs) But I will not be engaging for at least another three months. Yeah. And so until the next Taylor update... We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a food influencer who got famous for making salmon rice bowls and has now been accused of selling out and shelling out tote bags. And we're back. Our last question for today is about, I would say, a familiar ICYMI figure, Emily Marco. We talked about her infamous salmon bowl all the way back in October 2021 with our dearly departed Madison Malone Kircher. And I think I've said at least three times since then that I still eat that salmon bowl on average at least once a week, which is a me problem and not a you problem. But we, as in you and I, Candace, haven't really mm-hmm. spoken about her since you've come on. So before we get into why everyone's mad at her today, I wanted to get your thoughts on her as an influencer. Are you familiar mm. with the salmon bowl? Have you eaten it? Have you tried any of her other recipes? Are you agnostic? <laughs> yeah, I can't say I'm like an Emily fan. I just haven't tracked her much because I remember when she first came up, girl with the salmon bowl i was like she seems very like neutral good i don't think i need to like create a google alert for her but (laughs) i will see her name pop up on like influencer snark subreddits like here and there so i guess she's at least getting like steadily famous i would say so her audience is pretty consistent i would say since the salmon bowl has been growing pretty consistently Mm. but kind of the same for me in that she's someone who really only pops up on my feed or on my radar for one of two reasons the first one is people love her so the salmon bowl cycle her wedding last year that went viral and was heralded as like the pinnacle of quiet luxury Mm -hmm. and around that time we got an email from a listener named andrea who wanted to know if emily had like a spawn con wedding which is mm-hmm. when an influencer or even a celebrity like priyanka chopra and nick jonas basically get their whole <laughs> wedding sponsored by brands to like offset the cost now i don't believe her wedding was sponsored i think it was just expensive which makes sense given the fact that she is like definitely well off but i guess emily has kind of rebounded from whatever controversy s- was stirred up because you know you mentioned there are two reasons she has come back into your orbit Right. Well, the internet works in black and white. So I see her when people love her and I see her when people hate her. Mm. So there have been a few hate cycles 
since that salmon bowl cycle. Mm. Um, usually when she's done something that people consider incredibly heinous, like this pumpkin pie recipe she did back around Thanksgiving that oh. was described as raw, Ooh. which I didn't think pumpkin pie could be. Ooh. Yeah. I love me a pumpkin pie, but Same. I will never not be icked out by like canned pumpkin pie. Oh. Not a fan. I mean, it is giving baby food. Yeah. But the baby food is not why people are mad right now. Though maybe they will be in the future because among other things, Emily Mariko is now pregnant and I am expecting <laughs> some integration of baby content yeah. into her current moment. I wouldn't be surprised to see an Emily Mariko branded baby food brand sold at Erewhon. <laughs> Free idea for you, Emily. Anyway, people are mad because Emily has debuted her first product release, which I would say is an influencer rite of passage. And it is a tote bag. Okay. To be specific, it is a $120 tote bag called the Farmer's Market Tote. On the product page, it is described as an extra-large tote designed for grocery runs, overnight trips, and weekly stock-ups at the farmer's market. Made with soft, brushed canvas, it features a large interior zip-closure hanging pocket, as well as an exterior pocket to store your phone. Because we all know girls love pockets. <laughs> this toque is made out of 100% cotton. It comes in two colors, this like baby pink color and this eucalyptus color. And it's made in California, which means that theoretically, should you want to drop $120, you can feel safe knowing that buying this bag probably does not constitute taking part in slave labor. We all love that. Mm -hmm. Now, before we get into the Internet's reaction to this, what is your reaction, Candace? Keep in mind, I'm going to give you a price comparison that other ethically made tote bag brands like Bagu, for example, sell their cotton totes for between $38 and $72. Oh, okay. So first off, I took a little look and apparently the pink color is uh, specifically strawberry milk. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Second... On this website, I think it's really funny because, you know, like in the top right hand corner where it has like your mm -hmm. cart and it's like add to cart logo. Um, It's yes. a shadow logo of the tote. Like the tote is the brand. It is the Beautiful. cart. It is everything. And I guess my initial reaction is like is the problem that it's called a tote. Because when I think of tote, I think of like free. I think of like, oh, came with the New Yorker subscription. I think of like gonna break but i'm gonna use it and have a lot of fun so of maybe course. that's part of it the other half of it is like i'm sure people are asking like am i buying a tote or am i buying the name on the tote mm, i mean we're always buying the person who put the name on the tote that's the only reason we carry new yorker tote bags it's not because mm. they're well made it's because we want to be perceived <laughs> as someone who reads the new yorker cover yeah, to cover yeah, yeah. anyway I consider myself a tote bag carrying ass bitch. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I love a tote bag. I have owned and gifted Bagu tote bags. I am always looking out for innovation in the tote bag market. And while I won't say that Emily's tote from a design perspective is anything new, the size of it actually is pretty hard to find. It's a whole 26 inches long. That's over two feet. I just did that math in my head. Everyone should be proud. <laughs> oh, my God. That is actually really big. <laughs> right? It's huge. Yeah. The biggest Bagu bag is 19 inches wide. 
And like I said, it's about $72. And the most expensive L.L. Bean tote, which I would consider kind of a competitor in this market, Mm -hmm. retails at $109 and is only 18 and a half inches. So I actually do think Emily might be onto something. I'm not mad at the bag. I'm not mad at the bag. But other people other people are. Emily teased this bag in the day leading up to a going on sale, so she, like, posted herself with two of the tote bags on a trip back from the supermarket, doing what the tote bag is intended to do, which is tote things from place to place. Just got back from the farmer's market. I got kale and broccoli, and then these Brussels sprouts looked really good this week. A bag of carrots, a spaghetti squash... And before we move on, I feel like it's important to note that Emily, like, never talks in her videos, right? Like, I'm Mm -hmm. sure there's recordings of her voice out there, but as an influencer, she's a bit of a blank canvas. She doesn't really give her audience much to work with in terms of, like, parasocially projecting onto. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's kind of the embodiment of a strawberry milk tote bag. (laughs) You know? Aesthetically nice. But there's not really a lot going on there. I think that's such a good point. And I honestly think the kind of lack of information she gives us is why people get so mad at her. But we will get back to that later. Emily drops his bag on January 29th. And people are not happy about it. Mm. They are specifically mad about the price for what some people are describing as an objectively really ugly bag, which, listen, we can all have our criticisms, but is it really true that the bag is ugly? Are we being honest? (laughs) The tote's not that heinous looking, but maybe I'm tacky. Let me know. Anyway, here's what people are saying about the farmer's market tote. So I'm sure you know Emily Mariko is salmon girl, salmon bowl rice girl. See, I didn't have a problem with her until right now. Emily Mariko, babe, miss ma'am, you are selling tote bags cotton tote bags to the tune of 120 freaking dollars. There's no insignia on this. There's no art. There's no emblems. It is the most basic plain ass tote I have ever seen in my fucking life. I am so disappointed. I hate influencers and I can't believe this thing sold out. Granted, I don't know how many units she had. It's probably a test run to see how many units she could sell, but $120 for a random tote bag. Emily Mariko is not at all a problematic creator. She doesn't talk. She doesn't do anything to upset anybody. She's honestly just existing. But she's also a creator who does not interact with her um, fan base at all. She doesn't talk to anyone. She never likes comments. She never comments back. But don't worry. She's selling a product for $120, which is an objectively really ugly bag for groceries, which is super out of touch. And in the comment sections, a lot of them are along the lines of, oh, you want to talk when it's time to sell something or she only engages when she's trying to sell something or I'm now an Emily Marco hater after seeing the price for this Shein bag and this tote costs more than my weekly grocery bill which where are you shopping and is it in New York City because if it is please drop a Google Maps address my wallet is suffering <laughs> inflation kicking my ass now obviously mm-hmm. i have thoughts about this beyond my inability to budget properly but before we get into them how do you feel about this are you on the side of people who are mad do you think it's overblown are you like why are we talking about this i get why people are mad i think what these comments that you've pulled have kind of illuminated for me is that it almost seems like people were pre-prepared to hate 
Like people mm-hmm. have watched influencers kind of make this twist of like, I love them, I love them, I love them. They sold me something, I'm gonna hate them. And we've mm-hmm. seen it so many times, that kind of selling out or like the commercialization of the people we find so relatable that the comments are the same. These are template comments that we're kind of refuting here right now. And I'm sure Emily has as well, because I guess the other side of it is like, Emily probably knew this was coming and she has found a million ways to counter all of these. And it's kind of working. It's kind of working. Because guess what, guys? She got money and you get a bag. She's doing what you're supposed to do when you're an influencer, which is sell things. I find the backlash to this really weird for two reasons. The first one is because of comments along the lines of this one I read, which is, it's offensive to not interact, but take your money. Mm. I think that's kind of an unhitched thing to say on the internet about a content creator. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, like, yeah. Babe, I'm sorry. Let's be realistic. Do you expect the CEO of Target to engage with you for you to shop there? Do you yeah. expect Selena Gomez herself to come down from her chariot to respond to your comments in order to buy rare beauty blush? No. I feel like there's such a market increase in what people expect out of influencers now. All Emily or any influencer owes us, if she owes us anything, is the content that she is giving us for free. Yeah. Like, let us sit back and think about that for a moment. Every single piece of work this woman has ever done has been released for free. Mm-hmm. I just feel like we need to remember that influencers actually don't have any responsibility to engage with their audience, to sit and camp out in the comment sections of their videos and respond to followers or whatever. That's actually a whole different job called audience engagement. You can mm-hmm. hire people to do that. And some influencers do it, but not everyone has to, especially when there's someone like Emily who has over 12 million followers on TikTok, almost mm-hmm. 2 million on Instagram and just over a million on YouTube. That is a lot of people to interact with. Right. And these are a lot of people who you would think you could sell a tote to because they follow her, they watch every bull, they make every bull. And I think for me, what's kind of like not clicking is the fact that like, if Emily Marco is an influencer, it's not surprising she's selling something. If she wants to call mm-hmm. herself a chef, very not surprising. Emeril Lagasse has an air fryer in Costco. I mean, my whole thing is like, this reminds me of like Molly Bass, Claire Saffitz, let's mm-hmm. say, the people who have left Bon Appetit mm-hmm. and like created their own self-careers from like making their own YouTube videos and all that stuff. Molly Bass, very successful cookbook writer. They're good cookbooks they're not exactly cheap because they're like hardcover but she has also sold totes she has sold t-shirts she has sold ticketed events like it's interesting because i love molly and there is like a small small like eat the rich resentment here and the and the question is like I understand why you guys have liked Molly Baz, right? You would go to the same bagel shops with her. There was a relatability. That was kind of the selling point. But then that minute you realize like, oh, not only have I like supported this person who has made money off my success, but the fact that I never really got to see a cent of it and you're like having this beautiful life that I don't know about. I think that's when the tension comes in of like, what do you owe me? Molly, what do you owe me? Emily, what do you owe me? And that, actually, I don't think Emily's problem. It's not at all. I mean, I think you're getting to such a good point, which is that the reason people follow influencers is because they're relatable, Mm -hmm. theoretically. That's kind of what it's all built on. 
both relatable and aspirational. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a real moment where if an influencer is successful enough, they get enough money and influence that they're no longer relatable. They're kind of just another rich person. And that's the moment in which their audience or a very vocal part of their audience starts to turn on them. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of wants to get their money's worth out of their parasocial investment in influencers. But the thing is, all the content we're getting from most of these people is free. So... Mm-hmm. Once people start saying things like, you don't even interact with your fans enough for me to buy something from you. What are we actually asking for here? You want them to not only be your parasocial bestie, but your real bestie. This is a stranger. This is a business. Mm -hmm. Someone commented on her video announcing the bag. She literally never interacts with her audience, but wants us to buy her merch. What do you think her putting out videos every day is doing? That is interacting with her audience. Do you think she's just doing that because she wants to? Maybe. But she's doing it because there's an audience for it that wants the content. And the content is what she's giving. She's not Mm -hmm. giving you her voice. She's probably not going to give you access to her child. I don't think Mm -hmm. I've seen her husband once. Her boundaries are incredible. And the fact that people are mad about it because she wants to sell a tote? Grow up! Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I find it a little odd that Emily Marco is getting all this hate when, like, Molly Bass, what about her? Claire Savitz, what about her? Mm-hmm. Chrissy Deegan, I mean, like, she she is still shelling those pots and pants. Okay. And if, But, Rachel, you said you had two critiques? I do, I do. I had two critiques. Thank you for reminding me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it actually connects to what you're saying right now, which is, You don't have to buy what influencers are selling you. Yeah. No one's holding a gun to your head and telling you to buy a $120 tote bag. Emily can just sell her tote bag and you can ignore it. Why is it Mm -hmm. offensive that it even exists to you? And maybe even more importantly, the pricing actually really isn't that bad for a Mm -hmm. small batch produced cotton tote bag of that size. I really think Timu and Shein and TikTok Shop have ruined a lot of people's idea of how much something should cost if it's ethically made and Mm -hmm. sourced. Even the fact that people call this bag a Shein bag is (laughs) unhinged to me. Have you looked at the quality of Shein products lately? I don't think this bag's going to have lead in it. No. Like, Emily doesn't say on her website exactly where and how this bag is made, just that it's produced in California. But American-made products are usually more expensive for a reason. And it's because we have something called labor laws. By demanding that this bag be cheaper, what you're actually kind of demanding is for someone to be more exploited somewhere in the production line. And I find that really weird to demand of someone while you're, calling her out as being unethical for selling the bag what you're asking for is also unethical Mm -hmm. yeah and also something we haven't mentioned yet is that the bag is sold out it has basically been sold out (laughs) since it launched so clearly there's a market for this bag and honestly if i had a market that was willing to buy a 120 tote from me i would sell them the 120 tote and would i'm gonna be honest My last word on this is this entire thing is giving hating outside the club. (laughs) It's giving you wish it could be you. And that's okay. I too wish it could be me. But let's all admit when we're jealous and not try to make it a social critique. Okay, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so definitely subscribe. 
That way, you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. And tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod. And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Candace Slim, and me, Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online. Or on a private jet.